your Bibles and turn in them to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you. And you can take that Bible and turn in the back portion of it to page 142 and you will find yourself at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now those of you who know me well know that I am a very inquisitive sort. And there's always these questions I wonder about. And for me, they're fun to ponder. For example, here's one. I wonder this. Who was the very first person who looked at a cow and said, you know what, I think I'm going to squeeze those dangly things underneath there and then drink whatever comes out? I just sort of wondered, who was the first person to do that? Here's another one I wonder about. Why do croutons come in airtight packages? I mean, isn't it just nothing more than stale bread anyway? Why does it have to be airtight there? I don't really understand that. And here's one that's a little bit deeper that I wonder about. If you try to fail and succeed, which one have you done? Think about that one for a while. That'll keep you awake tonight. Now, there's another question that I think the church at large should wonder more about and should ponder more, and that would be this. What really does it mean when it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad? What does all of that mean? Well, Scripture helps orient us to the answer to that question, and we've been involved in a three-part series we have called Keeping Your Eye on Eternity. And this is part number three in that series. If you have not seen part number one or two or heard that, you need to get a hold of that because we are building on previous messages. And in fact, our podcasts are back up. For, so for those of you who use an iPod and maybe exercise and listen to, to messages, they're back up. You can go to our website at wildwoodchurch.org and either get the podcast or you can stream it or download it there. But what we want to do for a few moments is simply remind you of what we've covered. We've looked at the fact that rewards are real and that rewards can be lost and that reality is an evaluation is coming. And that's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. But I want us to turn back to a passage in 1 Corinthians 3 that we've looked at previously. And I simply want to remind you, because this gives us another picture of the evaluation that is coming. Now, the imagery being used in 1 Corinthians 3 is that of a building. And in verse 10, it tells us that there's a foundation that is laid that foundation is Christ. But what we do with our life as we come to know Christ personally is we build on that foundation. And he says at the end of verse 10, each one should be careful how he builds on the foundation. And then in verse 12, he talks about how we have two different types of building materials, if you will, in which to build on the foundation. And one of those types of building materials is permanent, gold, silver, things like marble, and those building materials reflect God's wisdom. And those building materials, as we use them, are in tune with God's 
commandments and God's standards. But there's a second sort of building material that you might choose or I might choose to build on the foundation, and that would be perishable materials, wood, hay, and straw. And those materials reflect the world's wisdom. And those materials stand for things that we would do that are out of step with God's commands and God's standards. And so as we build this building, which is our Christian life, our spiritual life, as we walk with Christ, as we've come to know Him, we have choices of materials. Now, all of us have used some perishable materials in building our building. I mean, all of us have had some selfishness to deal with and some disobedience to work through. But here's what the idea is. As we build on the foundation, in verse 14, there's going to be this evaluation, and whatever's, whatever materials remain, those that are in tune with God's commandments and standards, we will receive a reward. There is an evaluation coming. How are you building your building? Now, this evaluation is going to include something very interesting to me, and that is it's going to include our heart motives. We see that in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians in verse 5. He says, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. So it's not only what we do, what we choose to do, but it's why we chose to do it. For example, I could choose and say, well, what I want to do is I want to teach people. I want to teach people about the Bible. But I might have the motive of doing that to impress people. I want to be up front of everybody. I want everybody's eye on me. I want everybody to know who I am. That's why I want to teach the Bible. So that might be a good thing that we would do, but for the wrong motive. Or maybe I, I make the choice to go on a mission trip. But the key question is, why are we going on the mission trip? Are we going on a mission trip because we're bored, I want to go to a fun place, I want to get out of my house, or do we go on a mission trip with the motive to serve people when we go? By the way, I've been on multiple mission trips with large groups, and I've often wondered about some who came along. It seems to be more just for the fun of it all rather than for serving people. So God is going to in include that in our evaluation. He's going to judge our heart motive. And so we need to think about that. Am I doing a certain thing to pander to my selfishness or to please the Savior? Am I doing it to make myself look good or to make Jesus look good? Am I doing it so that people would think I'm great or that people would think that God is great as he works in, in my life? By the way, in this whole area of motives, um, one of the things we have to be careful about is judging other people's motives. We need to be very cautious about that because it's close to impossible to really know what someone else's motive is. And even judging my own motives, at, at times that can be a murky thing. Am I doing what I'm doing out of pride? Am I doing it just for you know, the personal enjoyment? Sometimes it gets a little murky, but it's not going to be murky to Jesus. He's going to disclose our motives. So the reality is there's an evaluation coming. And that led us to another thing we've looked at, and that is the reality is that God is going to reward 
faithfulness in the life of a believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, one thing is required of a steward, that the steward be found faithful. And that's what we are. Every one of us who knows Christ, we are stewards. We're stewards of our time and our talent and our treasure. And what's really interesting about that is that everything that you have is a gift from his hand. Notice in verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, What do you have that you did not receive? One of the greatest steps you can make in your Christian life is to come to grips with the fact that everything is something that God has given to you. In fact, John the Baptist says in John 3.27, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. And so all of the time that you have in your life is been given to you by God. All of the talent, the abilities, the gifts, the intelligence has been given by God. All the treasure, all the financial resources ultimately comes from Him. The health that you enjoy comes from Him. And so that means that I am a steward. I am a steward of the time and the talent and the treasure that God has given to me. And you are a student, or a steward rather, of the time and the talent and the treasure that God has given to you. But we are to be faithful as stewards. Now, here's something that will cripple you from being a faithful steward. I'll tell you about it right now. This will cripple you. And that is comparison. Comparison with other people will cripple your ability to be a faithful steward. It will squelch it, it will stifle it, it will strangle it. It will strangle your desire to please the Savior. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean by that is you shouldn't look at other people when you think about, I am a steward of the time, talent, and treasure that God has given to me. It's a mistake to start looking at other people, and even the disciples made that mistake from time to time. You know, I might say, you are a steward of your time, your talent, and your treasure. You might say, well, I'm not Bruce. You know, I'm not the pastor of a church, and I have this ability to influence hundreds of people. I don't speak at family life marriage conferences influencing marriages around the country. I don't have a ministry in Latvia, an ongoing radio ministry, and print ministry. I'm not that, so therefore, why bother? Comparison will cripple your ability to be a faithful steward. And I want you to know, I, I, I have to struggle with comparison temptations just as much as, as anyone does, because there's always someone who seems to be more gifted or have more talent or, or more treasure than I would. But it will cripple things. The key is to be a faithful steward of the time, talent, and treasure that God has given to you. And important to remember what Jesus said in Matthew 19.30. He said, many who are first, who appear to be first in the kingdom now, are really going to be last later, and some who are last will be first. So this isn't a comparison thing at all. Previously, we've looked at the nature of our rewards. We've seen that our rewards will be praise and honor from Jesus. It will be ruling in the future. It will be treasure in heaven. And then, last time we began to look at the nature of our evaluation. What is going to be involved? If we're going to be evaluated, don't we want to know what the evaluation is going to be over? My daughter Jennifer, who uh, attended uh, OCCC and also now is at OU, 
And one of the things that she's done, a lot of students are doing this, is they go to a website called RateMyProfessors.com. And when you go there, what you can do is you can learn something about a potential teacher or professor. You can learn about their character. You can learn about their strengths and maybe what their weakness is. But you also can learn about what their tests are like and what they might expect on their papers. And knowing there's going to be, if you take that professor, an evaluation at the end of the semester, you can learn about what that professor is interested in when it comes to evaluation. Well, very much the same way, the Bible tells us a similar thing. We can learn a lot about God's character from the Scriptures, and we can learn a lot about how we are going to be evaluated at the end of our life. And as we said last time, this is both encouraging and challenging. Now, last time we just touched into this area, and we saw that part of our evaluation is going to be over our faithfulness in the face of difficulty, in the face of injustice and mistreatment, in the face of trial and adversity. Today what we want to do is continue understanding what the evaluation is going to be over. How are we going to be evaluated for our faithfulness? And the second area we're going to see now is that we will be evaluated for our faithfulness in actively serving others. In actively serving others. By the way, this is all worthwhile to write down. Wouldn't you like to know what the evaluation is going to be over? We ought to be able to rattle these things off. Now notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, and it's talking about building this building, and it's talking about serving other people, and Paul says in verse 6, I planted, that's the way I served, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. God was working through both of us. But then I want you to notice what it says in verse 8. He says, now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. There's going to be an evaluation for how faithful we were in serving other people. In Hebrews 6.10, the author of the Hebrews says there, God is not unjust so as to forget your work in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. God is paying attention, is what he's saying, to our faithfulness in actively serving others. And when you start talking about greatness in the kingdom, a big part of our greatness of the kingdom is going to be related to the people whom you and I serve. And that's why so often at Wildwood we talk about the importance of serving other people. Why we did a whole long series of messages on how God has shaped us for ministry using S-H-A-P-E as reminders of the five points that God uses, our spiritual gifts, our heart passion, our abilities, our personality, and our experience. And it's important to understand that God has had a plan to shape each one of us for ministry. And by the way, that's, that's what one of our Equipping You classes is going to be all about, that I'm going to be teaching. And if you'd like to know more about how God has equipped you to serve other people, you need to come and sign up to be part of that class for eight weeks, and we'll unpack that for you. But that's why even in your bulletin, when you get it, you'll find as we talk about shining as light, there's three light posts we like to talk about. Worship, connect, serve. We're saying everybody who comes to Wildwood ought to be involved in those three light posts. We ought to be worshiping, we ought to be connecting with other people, and we ought to be serving. And part of the reason why 
is because we're going to be evaluated for our faithfulness in actively serving other people. Faithfulness in actively serving others. And by the way, that includes, I believe, working hard at your job. That's part of serving other people. Turn with me deeper into the New Testament to the book of Colossians in chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. I know we're covering a lot of material, but I want to get this out to you. and You're going to have to take some time later to reflect and digest it all. But in Colossians 3, verse 23, he says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily, deep from the soul, as for the Lord rather than for men. Now notice this, verse 24, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. When we talk about being faithful and actively serving others, part of what's included in that umbrella is working hard at your job. Even if you have a lousy boss, you can still view Christ as your ultimate employer. Faithful and actively serving others. And that involves spiritual leaders too. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4 talks about how Spiritual leaders will be evaluated on the faithfulness of their shepherding. See, this is going to be true for all of us. How faithful are we in actively serving others? Those of you who've been with us in the previous messages know that I've shared a little bit about my junior high, high school chum, Stu Lindell. A guy who was exactly my age within a month, and Stu is a, a guy that uh, got multiple myeloma and battled it for nine years and, and died this fall. And Stu is a great guy, a very influential guy, former um, uh, pitcher for Kansas State uh, when uh, he went to college. And I remember a few years ago, I hadn't seen Stu for about five, and we were in the Kansas City area, so we stopped by and we had a little chat, and he was just telling me about what was going on in his life, and he, he managed these um, apartments uh, rental properties, and I said, what else are you doing with your, with your spare time, you know, and he said, well, you know, I've been involved uh, in, in organizing all of these uh, softball leagues and all these softball teams, and we play softball all the time, and I said, who are you playing with, a bunch of old guys like us? He goes, no, they're, you know, younger guys, and one of the things I said to him is, I said, Stu, what ministry do you have? Because I know he's a very intelligent guy, a magnetic guy, he understood the Bible. I said, well, who are you serving in ministry? And he just said, well, I'm really not doing anything. And one of the things I said to him is, you're missing the boat here, bro. I said, you are the kind of a guy who could easily get some guys involved in a Bible study. And one of the things we were going through at the time here at Wildwood was authentic manhood, the quest for authentic manhood. And I said, man, I can put you together with these materials. And I said, you can get these younger guys, and I'll tell you, they'll just eat out of your hand listening to the wisdom from your life. Part of what I was doing is saying to him, Stu, there's going to be an evaluation for how effectively and how actively we're involved in serving other people. I was trying to call, call him up. That's part of the evaluation, being faithful and actively serving other people. And you can start right now. You can start today doing that. You can start serving your spouse. You can start serving your children. You can start serving your parents. And you can start serving someone who is younger than you. One of the most effective things you can do is take someone who's one age bracket below you and invest in them and serve them. 
How are we going to be evaluated? Well, are we faithful and actively serving others? There's a, another arena we want to look at how we're going to be evaluated, and that is faithfulness in caring for the needy. Faithfulness in caring for the needy. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke and chapter number 14. Luke 14. So much the Bible has to say about all of this. It's hard to get it into three messages. Jesus is talking in verse 12 of chapter 14, and he goes on to the say to the one who had invited him to this dinner. He says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. He doesn't say it's wrong to do that. He's basically saying, don't make this the only thing that you do. You invite your friends, and what happens? You invite them over, and they say, well, you know what? We were over at the Hesses. Now we don't need to invite them over. He's saying that's all that you get from that, but rather what you really need to do is expand your thinking here. And he says, when you give a reception, verse 13, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and when you do that, you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He's saying that's part of the evaluation. Are we faithful in caring for the needy? Proverbs 14.31 says, He who is gracious to the needy honors God. And I don't have to prove it to you. All you need to do is read through the Gospels. If you haven't done that for a while, you ought to do that. And look at the heart of the Savior. What do you see him doing over and over again? He is meeting the needs of needy people. And that's part of the evaluation. That's why Paul writes to Titus, who is a church leader, and turn tells Titus, make sure you communicate to all of the believing community that they are, as it says in chapter 3, verse 14, to be careful to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful in their life, so that it will have an impact in the future evaluation. And that's one of the reasons why we try to do things as a church family. You know, uh, every spring we've been got, getting involved in Go Wild, where we get involved in meeting the needs of the needy. That's why we get involved with Angel Tree every year. You know, in Hebrews 13.3, it says we are to remember the prisoners. How often do you think about the prisoners? And it's really interesting, some of the windows that God has opened up to us, because we have somebody from Wildwood who is in prison. And that has led us now to sending about five study Bibles to these prisoners. And I've got requests for two more on my desk. And we're beginning to get material into the prisons, and they're utilizing these things. And it's exciting to see what's happening. Nobody's more needy than people who are in prison. So, that's part of how we are going to be evaluated. I want you to see another part of our evaluation, and that is going to be faithfulness in living in light of Christ's return. Faithfulness in living in light of Christ's return. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, which is an interesting book because it's the last thing that Paul wrote before he checked out of this life. And he knew he was at the end of the race. And I want you to notice what he says in chapter 4, 
and verse 7. He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me, not necessarily everyone, but for me, he says, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Part of the evaluation is, are we faithful in living in light of Christ's return? What does that really mean? Well, in part, I think it means that we finish well. That we finish well. We could all tell stories of people who maybe entered into the spiritual life at the same time that we did, and maybe we even ministered alongside of them. We could think about people who started well, but they're not finishing very well. They're finishing poorly. And I've been involved now for a lot of years. It's uh, approaching 40 watching people in their spiritual life. And there's a lot of people who began their spiritual life journey with me. And some of them started off with a real bang. I mean, they were getting it done, and they were living for Christ. But then I've watched a number of them veer off into the ditch. In fact, Paul even mentions some people in the New Testament era by name that did that very thing. So part of this involves finishing well. Are you committed to that? doesn't mean finishing perfectly because we all stumble in many ways. We're all going to take a tumble. We're all going to hit the ground. But the key is that we get back up when we run the race and we finish well. On one of the file cabinets in my office, I have this quote from William Bronson. He's a Reformed Church pastor, and I love William Bronson. I wish he'd written more because everything he has written I love. But here's, here's what he says. To begin well in the morning of life is a great advantage. He's talking about getting a good start in the spiritual life. It's a great thing to get a good start in the race. To toil in the heat of day is a sign of fortitude and strength. You know, when you're running the race for Christ and the heat's on just a little bit, it's a great thing to keep running, keep sucking it up in his power and moving ahead. But he goes on to say this, but... To be faithful to the end is best of all. Do you have that as your focus in your spiritual life? I want to finish well. Part of what's involved in living in light of Christ's return is finishing well. Part of what's involved is choosing purity over impurity. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says that he who has his eyes fixed on the return of Christ purifies himself. It means that as we go through life, we're thinking, you know what? The trumpet call could come and the evaluation could start any time. Therefore, it makes a difference in some of the choices I make in my life. I have to watch what I fill my mind with. I choose purity over impurity. So what's involved in, in this evaluation? Well, faithfulness in the face of difficulty, faithfulness in actively serving others, faithfulness in caring for the needy, faithfulness in living in light of Christ's return. And then there's a fifth one, a final one I want us to look at, and that is faithfulness with our financial resources. That'll be part of the evaluation. And I purposefully left this one for last for this reason. 
Money, men and women, is the number one index of our spiritual heart. The number one index of our spiritual heart. We are stewards. All that we have, all that we have, and you may be younger and say, well, I don't have very much, but all that we have is on loan, it's not owned. I don't care what the bank may say, all, as a believer in Jesus Christ, all that we have is on loan, it is not owned, and I am a steward of it, and that is why. Jesus made the statements he makes in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, let's go back there. We looked at this passage earlier in our series where Jesus says in verse 19, Stop storing up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves, start doing this, treasures in heaven where those things are not true. All that you have is on loan and not owned. And what Jesus says is, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, I want to show you something that's really interesting about this. If your life focus is on earth treasure, now think about this for a moment. If it's on earth treasure, every day you're actually moving away from it. Because you can't take it with you. And if you think about that for a while, it could discourage you just a little bit. If that's where your focus is. Because you're moving away from it. And if you think about it too long, you might even panic just a little bit. You know, I've worked so hard to get all this stuff, and I'm just going to leave that behind. But if your focus, your life focus is on heaven treasure, here's what's interesting. Every day you're moving toward it. And if you think about it for a while, that's encouraging. And if you really think about it for a while, you'll start rejoicing over that. See, the Bible tells us, and sometimes it's, it's an important step to get here, that we don't really live here. This isn't our home. Hebrews eleven thirteen. we are strangers and exiles here. Philippians three twenty. our citizenship is in heaven. We're just here temporarily. This isn't really home. We're on our way to home. That's really where we live. We're just a temporary exile here. And here's what, what happens, I think, to a lot of believers in Jesus Christ. Because they're focused more on earth treasure, they think this way when it comes to giving to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. They think, you know, I give it and it's gone. Maybe they say, you know, last year I gave $500, and now it's just gone. That's a misconception. That's not true. It's not gone. Now, the truth is that all that you have, even if you don't have a lot now, and all that you ever will have is one day going to be taken out of your hands. See, that's what the truth is. Here's what's cool. Now, right now, there is a window that we have where we can give what we can't keep to gain what we can't lose. We have a window now in life. And it's a colossal opportunity that God gives to us. 
Now, if I were to say this to you, what would you think and what would you want to do? If I said to you, what I want you to do is I want you to take a large sack, and what I want you to do is I want you to fill that sack up with empty plastic Dr. Pepper bottles. So you have a sack full of empty plastic Dr. Pepper bottles, and here's what you can do. You can take that empty sack of those empty bottles, or that sack of empty bottles, and you can turn it in, and you can receive a Dr. Pepper bottling plant in exchange for that. Now, if I gave every one of you an opportunity to do that, everyone would go, you got to be kidding me. What a deal. A bunch of empty plastic bottles, and I get to exchange it for a Dr. Pepper bottling plant? You bet I want to do that. Well, it's a very similar thing, the window and opportunity that God has given to us while we're here on this planet. And I know that some people inside the church who know the Lord, just reality is when it comes to investing in the kingdom and taking our resources, here's, here's what our reaction is. I'm very reluctant to do that. Or if I'm going to do that, I'm, oh man, I have to do that. Oh got to give something to the church. I've got to give something to this ministry. I don't really want to. If your thinking is that way, I can tell you, this is really the baseline to it. You're thinking, I'm going to give something and get nothing for it. That's really why you would be reluctant. But other people, when it comes to giving, they're very joyful about it. They're very, very excited about it. Why? Because they're looking at it from the perspective, I am investing and I am believing that God is going to give me a return on this. There's going to be heavenly treasure that will come my way. Money and resources, financial resources, number one index of our spiritual heart. Every once in a while, I'll have someone who sits down with me and they get transparent and they'll say to me, you know what, my heart, is, my heart is really dull with the things of God. I'm just not, I'm just not very into that right now. And one of the things I like to say to them is, can you just share with me now um, your giving program? You know, tell me in detail about what, what you're giving to God's kingdom. How are you investing money? How are you using your resources? How are you using your possessions for the kingdom of God? Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus says, as he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, as sure as a needle follows north on a compass, so our heart will follow our treasure and where we are putting it. It's just the way that it works. Now, I want to share for a few moments some things that I find fascinating about this whole economy of the way God works when we invest in heavenly treasure. And these things are fascinating to me. I mean, it absolutely fascinates me. And if you haven't seen these things, I want you to, I want you to grasp it. The first thing I want you to see in the way God looks at all of this is he evaluates us when it comes to using our financial resources according to what we have, not according to what we don't have. 2 Corinthians 8.12 says that. It's according to what we have, not according to what we don't have. 
And here's why this is important, because a lot of times we may not have very many resources or very many possessions to use for his kingdom, and so we think that isn't very significant. I'm not some millionaire somewhere. I'm not some guy who makes, in the, in the athletic realm, $18 million a year. So what I've got isn't really significant. But you see, that's what's crazy about God's economy. And some of you who are younger and you think, well, you know, I don't have very much money. You know, my parents may give uh, hundreds of dollars a month and all I've got is this, just this little bit of money that I have here. What is crazy and the way God evaluates is that those, listen here, those who have very little have an opportunity to give much more than anybody else. Isn't that a little crazy? You remember the story of the widow's mite from Mark chapter 12 where you have all of these people who were very wealthy and they had these big urns there, metal urns, and these wealthy people were coming in and they were dumping in these bags of coins and you heard them rattling all the way down and people could see whether they were silver coins or whatever and they were saying, wow, look at what that guy gave. And then suddenly you had this little widow who just had this one little coin and she walked up there and she just kind of plinked that in there. And you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He said she gave more than all the rest of them. You know the disciples were like, excuse me, what was that again? That didn't look like that to us. And but you see, that's the way God's economy works. It's according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. And even if you have very little, you have the opportunity to give much more than anybody else. Now that's motivating. Another thing I want you to notice about God's economy in all of this is that to whom much has been given, much is required. That means when, when there's going to be an evaluation for faithfulness in how we are utilizing and investing um, our resources, it's going to be different for the church of North America than it's going to be for the church of North Africa. It's going to be a different standard because to whom much has been given, much will be required. Do you know that if you have sufficient food and you have a variety of clothes and you have two cars and you own your own home, and you even have some savings, even if it's small, that you're automatically in the top 5% of the entire world. To whom much has been given, much will be required. You know, I've had the opportunity over the years to take some long plane flights. Um, gone over to Latvia and gone some other places, and maybe you've been on a long plane flight, and when you go on a long plane flight, it's long, but you know, here's what you're planning to do. I mean, you're planning to do a little eating, a little bit of drinking, a little bit of sleeping on that flight. You're going to maybe interact with the people that you are traveling with or meet some new folks and talk to them a little bit, and maybe you're hoping to enjoy a movie. Now, imagine you're on that kind of a flight, and you look across the aisle, and you see this person over here. And you notice that they have hung fancy velvet curtains all around that little window on the side of the plane. And then you've noticed that they've also hung a number of pictures right onto the wall there. And not only that, but they've got a floor lamp sitting there, and they've installed the clapper, you know. <laughs> Clap the floor lamp on and off whenever they want it. And not only that, but you notice that they have screwed a clothes rack in a part of the wall and part of the seat in front of them, and they brought in this way too large carry-on bag, and they're unloading all of their stuff, and they're hanging it up on the rack. And then you overhear them lamenting, I wish I had brought along an alarm system, because, you know, I do occasionally have to go to the bathroom back there, and I have to, I'm worried about everybody watching all my stuff, and, 
Maybe someone would take something. Now, you see that kind of a scenario, and what do you want to say to that person? It's not that long of a trip. I mean, come on. And when you get to the destination, it's not going to matter, all this stuff that you hung here on the plane. And see, the reality is a lot of times that's what we're doing in our life. We're stockpiling for a stay like it was going to be permanent. It's not permanent. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have things. I'm not saying it's wrong to be comfortable. But it's a matter of focus and a matter of perspective. And that's why Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Now, I don't know what all is involved in that, but I know what part of it's going to be. And part of it, part of the treasure in heaven is going to be new friends. Perhaps you heard the story about the owner of a big company who was tipped off that his financial manager had been mismanaging company funds. The owner confronting, confronted the financial manager and told him, this is your last week. I want your financial computer on my desk first thing tomorrow morning, then clear out your desk by afternoon. The financial manager, who was an older guy, began to panic. He said, I'll never be able to get another financial management job like this again, and I'm too old for manual labor. Who wants to go on welfare? Then he had a brainstorm. He said, if I could make some business friends, maybe all would not be lost. So he quickly looked up the company's accounts receivable list, and he began to contact each person. And the financial manager offered to renegotiate each receivable account so that the individual could pay less to the company than they actually owed. For example, if they owed $10,000, he offered to change it to $5,000. Or if someone owed $100,000, he would tell them, let's make it $80,000. Now, of course, all the folks were more than thrilled to get the financial break. And when the company owner later discovered the financial dealing that had occurred, he was obviously quite angry. But he also had to admit that he was impressed by the practical shrewdness of the financial manager. See, the manager fell short of embezzling funds for himself, but he had effectively managed to find a resourceful way to make friends for the future. Now, you might recognize that story because it's a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16. And you might just turn there real quickly, Luke 16. It's a story that Jesus told and in that story, he doesn't endorse the ethics of the manager, but he does endorse the example. Because he used available resources with the future in mind. And he says in verse 9 of Luke 16, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by the means of the wealth of unrighteousness, the wealth of this world, so that when the wealth of this world fails, they, your new friends, will receive you into eternal dwellings. See what it's saying? Make financial investment to lead people to Christ so that one day they would be there to welcome you into eternal dwellings. One of the things I have to commend Stu for is he got it here. 
And Stu would go out and he would buy boxes and boxes of these Christian books. And he was giving them to everybody. And they would tell them about God. Tell them about Christ. And he was, he was doing that to say, you know what, I'm not going to be here forever. But I'd like to have some friends who would welcome me into heaven. See, men and women, you and I one day are going to be terminated from life. But we have an opportunity now to invest our financial resources to win friends who could one day welcome us into heaven. And what better treasure could there be than new friends who were influenced by the resources that we invested? Now, we're going to wrap up in just a minute. There's a couple of things I think are very important to do, though, here before we close. And I want to just deal with a question that oftentimes comes up about this whole area. People will say, well, how can you have rewards and crowns that people are going to get? Isn't that going to be a problem in heaven? I mean, isn't it going to be some people are going to be flaunting it and taunting it? You know, ha-ha, dick, I wish you could have gotten what I got. Too bad for you. Or are we going to have this envy problem looking over at someone and going, well, I can't believe that they have that. I've got this much reward and I only got this much and boy. Isn't that going to be a problem in heaven? And the answer to that is very clear. No. For two reasons. Number one, in heaven we're going to be fully free from the flesh. So you can't understand that now, but pride and envy, it's not even going to be there. It's not going to be an issue. And the second reason why I would say no is I believe that in heaven, the ultimate glory is going to go to Jesus. We don't need to turn there now, but in Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, it has a picture of the 24 elders, which I think is the heavenly um, family, and we see them taking their crowns off, which are really winner's crowns, and they're casting them at the feet of Jesus. Now, does that mean that, that these crowns and rewards are meaningless? You get them, you just throw them away. No, there's way too much that Jesus has to say about this and the New Testament has to say about it to say it's not meaningless. Here's what I think it means. I think it means ultimately we're all going to realize that the privileges, the honors, the rewards that we get really get credited back to His grace and His mercy in our life. I mean, the ultimate credit is going to be His I want you to close your Bibles, and I want to tell you a final story, and then we'll, we'll close and sing a final song. There's an intriguing story told about a very wealthy couple, and this very, very wealthy couple had only one child, a son whom they loved very dearly. But sadly, while that boy was still a toddler, his mother died. And his father, being very involved in all of his businesses, realized that he was not going to be able to raise his son by himself, and so he hired this nanny to help raise the boy. And after about a year and a half, this nanny had really fallen in love with the little boy and really viewed her just like she would have viewed her own son. And then in a tragic turn of events, the boy contracted a very deadly disease, and he died. And just a few weeks after that, maybe because of a broken heart, the father also died. And as they moved into the family estate, they looked around for a will 
on the part of the father and they couldn't find one. And so the decision was made to take all of these incredible assets of the family and to auction them off. And the nanny came to the auction, but she realized with her meager resources she wouldn't really be able to purchase most of the items that were up for auction, but that really wasn't what she was thinking about. She had her, her focus on one particular item. It had hung in the family's living room, and it was a, a picture, a portrait of the little boy. And it wasn't till the end of the auction that that picture came up, and using the little resources that she had, she was able to buy the picture. And so they wrapped it up, and she took it with her home. When she got home and unwrapped it, she noticed something very interesting. There were some papers attached to the back of the picture, and she investigated a little more carefully, and it was the lost will of the father. And written in the father's handwriting was this simple statement. I will all of my inheritance to anyone who loved my son enough to buy this picture. And men and women, in the same way, the Heavenly Father desires to give his special inheritance to those who love and honor his son with their life. Let's close in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for all of this scripture. We thank you for all that you've been teaching us. And Lord, there's a lot to digest. But I thank you for the word of God. And I thank you that you've given us all the information we need to know about the future evaluation that is coming. But ultimately, Father, ultimately, ultimately, this is ultimately all about the Lord Jesus. And we want to honor him with our life. We look forward to the day when we can hear out of his mouth the words of praise, well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Greg.